The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And we are welcoming back Heidi Bennett of the podcast Vibrant Visionaries, Spinal Tap Minute, and my former co-host of Cabin Minute Cast. Howdy, howdy. Welcome back to prison. Thank you for surviving. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me back. Yes, absolutely. And welcome to Minute 62. And Minute 62 begins with the Duke inquiring to Brain if Snake is a friend of his and continues with the Duke sizing up Snake with an epic stare down and ends with a police force helicopter surveilling the streets. So I love this check-in. I mean, I love the beginning of this minute in general because I love Romero. All just amazing, amazing, amazing introduction to him. He's such a great character actor in this. But uh, I, I love the the inquiry here of, you know, Brain tells Duke that he had a gun on him and there was nothing he could do. And Duke's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, Brain, your shit doesn't work on me. No, it's such a dad response, really. I I couldn't help it. I didn't know. Just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. Why do you say that? Because you know what? You're right. I probably do that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I know you're bullshit. (laughs) So, yeah, I know you guys, you know, that Romero has been introduced earlier, but I am just captivated by him. And when I think back to the time that I did see this for the first time, I just remember being absolutely mesmerized by him, his look and his physicality and the way he, uh, you know, when I looked up and and saw that that he was really given carte, carte blanche to improvise, that seeing his choices made it even more provocative and exciting to see him mm. the way he floats and set, sets himself down like out of this... Um, train car it's like he knows every way that his body moves and how much it weighs and what what it will land like like he has complete control and knowledge of what this whole thing's going to be like it's just this little ballet and the way he moves so slowly and deliberately and then puts his hand up over his (laughs) (laughs) eyes as if he's looking off you know i think of like Neverland and you know he's got kind of a Peter Pan vibe going here and then the way that he looks over and observes what's happening with the conversation that you just mentioned and then does a little nod towards the conversation and and again he's he's even more than the minute we just left he is framed out in these shadows with I mean he and the brain and Maggie are all on in such perfect profile that you could, if you were one of those artists, you know, you could draw that little profile of the trio, the trio um, against the train. And then he does this subtle, lovely little move where he adjusts his jacket 
open for more nipple <laughs> show. <laughs> And it's like so counter to what you think might be happening. You know, you might think, oh, he's going to adjust his jacket, sort of close it up a touch. But no, he bloop, he he (laughs) opens it up and to reveal a bit more of himself and then steps forward, pointing backward. And then, yeah, he has, he's pointing backwards to Maggie and the brain, Pinky and the brain, (laughs) as he and, and, and Duke move forward succinctly, you know, together. And then he also has the other arm up. I don't know what that, that it's almost like a waiter, you know, uh, or something. I, I'm not sure what that whole stance is, but it, it's absolutely captivating. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's such a theatrical 10 seconds. It's just the, the emergence from the train. And my favorite part of it is definitely the point because he doesn't just extend his arm at Maggie and brain. He does, this like weird thing where he bends the arm at the elbow, like snapping it and pointing it at him. He doesn't even look at him. He's already turned his head away when he's doing the point, keeps the hand up, keeps pointing at him as he walks away. It's just such a, you're in deep shit brain. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just such an awesome move. Mm. Yeah. And then before we step away from him, I just wanted to mention something that my husband always points out with us is that he looks like this iconic um, logo for the 19 late 70s punk band the screamers and they were described as an uh, american electro punk band from 75 they were part of the la punk scene and they never released an album but they did have this really cool artwork that's really connected to the 70s punk scene and it was designed by Gary Panter and and that's one of the things that I really always was besides the music of of like X and a bunch of other bands that I really was in love with at that era of punk is that there were a lot of people who had a real connection to uh, design and art and marketing, but in a really fun, creative, interesting, weird, cool way. And so if you look up the Screamers, you'll see this poster and how much the hair and his whole look looks very similar to this. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I love his, like, ahoy there matey, you know, look. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, that he's like looking off in the distance. And there's that's typically something you do if the sun's in your eyes. And of course, there's no sun here at all. That it's there's just, it's just a ridiculous move entirely. Uh, I just, I just the, the theatricality is amazing. The man just steals every scene he's in. I just love it. So then the Duke comes over and finally, 62 minutes into this movie, our main bad guy, not our main antagonist, but our main bad guy, comes face to face with our main protagonist. And the Duke does an eye twitch. And this is one of the things that when I was a kid was always one of the things that stood out to me about this movie about was the Duke's eye twitch. Mm. And it turns out that John Carpenter said that was Isaac Hayes' idea. And he chose to do it only when he's near Snake. So I, I think I'm going to keep track of um, the Duke eye twitches. We get, we, get, <laughs> we get three in this minute alone here as we, as we first are introduced to it. So let's see by the end of the movie how many Duke eye twitches. We get. What do you think the point is of the twitch? 
I don't know. You know, I know it, it, the, the first thing that comes to mind is in The Last Jedi, the character Benicio Del Toro plays. Mm-hmm. He does that thing where sometimes when he speaks before he starts, he goes like, kind of thing like that. And I think I read somewhere that that was his idea to do that. And I don't know what purpose it serves unless like it was something like helping him get into character or something like that. So maybe just, you know, for Isaac Hayes to feel like he's in character maybe he just wanted to come up with some kind of quirk or something like that that tricked his brain into you know being all right all right you know i'm in full duke mode you know let me do this eye twitch or something i feel like there's a i'm gonna like look you in the eye like i'm gonna stare you down here because i don't sense any intimidation on the duke's part but i do get this and there's quite a bit of it in this movie because people have to be very street savvy to survive. And so I feel like what this moment does is that I'm trying to really like hone down and really assess you and get like a real bare feeling about you even before you say anything. So I feel like to me, the eye twitch, even though it's a little bit bizarre to me, is part of him trying to really assess his character. Hmm. Yeah. And when he doesn't get an answer from Snake... On who he is, he does something that just really makes you just squirm in your seat. <laughs> grabs that arrow that's still in Snake's leg, and he just shoves it deeper into his leg. Ow! I found this sound to be a lot more effective than the <laughs> karate chopums of earlier. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I'm getting a real swashbuckling vibe, too, with him... You know, I mentioned Peter Pan a minute ago, and and with his big hoop earring and that hat, and the guys behind him, I'm getting kind of a Captain Hook, you know, and and this pirate gang behind him vibe, too. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that really, you can feel that Mm. (laughs) he does the arrow. Oh, God. (laughs) That really, Mm. even with the sound off, just looking at it, I can feel it. Mm. Mm. that's why you gotta pull that arrow out first you don't wait on that <laughs> <laughs> let that be a lesson to you sir <laughs> oh and brain does stick up for him in this moment it's you a know? real interesting read too well, you don't you think the way he say, says those yeah i mean you say sticking up for him i view this as brain still playing both sides like he's talking to save snake's life but mm. i you know it's almost like he's trying to stay on snake's good side just in case snake comes out on top because he knows he just screwed snake over but at the same time he can't he's telling the duke how it can help the duke to leave him alive to make sure that he's still in good graces with the duke i just think it's his brain playing both sides Mm, that's interesting i totally agree with that because just the way even the way he says like i can't remember the exact line but like we're going to need him or right. we need him or whatever is like, it's like he's modulating his voice in this way that is very neutral. I always presume that brain never expected snake to succeed here. And that's why he's, you know, I mean, he does have a gun to his head. Obviously Maggie really vouches for him without kind of knowing the full story. And and has you know been kind of like that third deciding vote, but I always presume that he was like, look, there's no way that he's going to get out of this, and I know I'm going to get screwed over here, and it's just better for me to go ahead and go along with this because I know he's going to get pulled out and he's not going to succeed, and once that happens, I can at least do my part to advocate for him when that happens. 
I think we're just we're uh, we're showing Molly and Mai's uh, differences <laughs> in world views. Yeah, <laughs> Molly. You know when Molly and I real talk here when we did our podcast. <laughs> It was so fun, you know, but it is. And when I did um, Spinal Tap Minute with with uh, Sean, you know, you do realize like, oh, yeah, when we're observing this thing, when we're consuming this media, we are seeing it in different ways. (laughs) And that's just Mm -hmm. the way it is. And it's it's I think that's why doing these podcasts is so fun, because you get to hear these different POVs and um, and it doesn't really like when all is said and done to me, I feel like, Oh yeah. And there's no right or wrong. It's just like looking, we're looking at a piece of art and drawing different conclusions. Yeah. I just, it, it, we, we can confirm now Molly has a much more positive view <laughs> of humanity than I do. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do enjoy those moments where, you know, I interpret something and I have like a, a long term held perception of a particular scene or an aspect. And I was just thinking last week where uh, Snake comes in and he's getting ready to rescue the president. And there's that guy sitting down with the president and he's filing uh, what I thought was a bike chain. And it's not a bike chain. It's a chain connected to the the briefcase. And that was something that, you know, Eric's like, no, that's the chain to the briefcase. But I have this whole other, you know, perception of that. And that creates a whole other worldview that's, and, and sometimes those things can be like, oh, they're they're authentic and that's a real perception. And sometimes it's just completely wrong. And, and <laughs> there's a whole other world that's been created out of that that's not even relevant at all. <laughs> Oh yeah, totally, totally. So when and when when Brain does tell the Duke who he is, there's a really good bit of face acting here by Isaac Hayes. It is very subtle, but there's this brief one quick second of a look of surprise on his face and recognition of the name Snake Plissken when Brain tells him who it is. And I I was I really liked that. It's at uh, let me see if I can find the exact second that it's at at the fifty six second mark. Like a slight eyebrow raise, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he does a little something, or and he's still got his hand on the arrow too. Right, he's doing that. Yep, interesting. And so in the in the draft script again, remember this is taking this scene is taking place inside the train, and the Duke walks in, and this is the direction. This this is how the script explains what happens next. The president shrinks back against the wall. He hits a fender and it creaks. The Duke savagely turns on him and says, Don't move, craphead. <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, once again, you know, John Carpenter's complete contempt for authority. Uh, but second of all, the Duke is this major ganglord in the prison and he's calling someone craphead. <laughs> I mean, you may as well call him poopy head like you're a seven-year-old, you know? <laughs> Have you guys found anything that you feel is like, so far, that's the way that they've written it in the original script that you thought is, you know, would have been a good choice to play around with with shooting it? Or, you know, any interesting discoveries with that script? Yeah, we just, well, it was either last week or the week before, it turns out this whole train yard scene originally in the draft script was... 
actually a maze of cars, basically, uh, almost mm. like a labyrinth with the president held at the center. And they drive the car through this maze of just piled up cars. And eventually it just gets narrower and narrower so that their car doesn't even fit. And they have to get out of the car, climb out the window of the car to get to the middle of the maze to find the president. And it would have been visually would have been really interesting. But our consensus was that they probably just didn't have the budget to do something like that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, I have to agree. I think the 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 car maze would have been amazing. Uh amazing i hadn't even thought about that but yes there you go <laughs> there's the title of the show today amazing <laughs> did you guys have any additional thoughts on this particular minute i didn't but I, i've got another other podcast question for heidi though oh i can't wait the members of spinal tap yes which one of them do you think would be best equipped to survive long term in Manhattan prison. Oh my gosh, Derek Smalls for <laughs> sure. <laughs> He's already dressed for the part. You know, uh, I think he and Romero again would you know find uh, find some common kinks perhaps, and. He has uh, also stellar, beautiful, long locks. He's <laughs> he's in pretty good shape, and uh, yeah, he's already dressed for the part. He's he's lukewarm water, so maybe he can be like Brain and sort of stay neutral with different characters and figure out ways to survive that way. Uh, he's a pretty adaptable guy. All right, let's um, let's promote our completely unsanctioned contest again here <laughs> leaving no compensation or even awareness uh from chock full of nuts about if you want to send us a photo of chock full of nuts out in the wild or uh sign somewhere you see in public or any interesting usage of a cot chock full of nuts can in your own home uh, used for some interesting container device or something like that Send it in an email to escapefromnewyorkminute at gmail.com. Molly and I are going to choose the best one. You can send as many entries as you'd like. And the winner can join us for one of the minutes on the credits at the end of the movie. Can't have already been a guest. Can't be a future guest that we haven't scheduled yet. And you got to have Skype. And uh, probably late November, possibly early December. I think every week that keeps changing the way that I say that. But... <laughs> <laughs> Let's start seeing some photos. Let's chalk those nuts, people. Let's get yeah. them full. Come Woo. on. So uh, with that, why doesn't uh, Hi uh, give us uh, once again where everyone can find you on the on the out in the world? Yeah. So you can go to HeidiBennett.com and the under the um, section of podcasts, you can find links to Vibrant Visionaries and cabin minute cast that i did with molly as previously mentioned and spinal tap minute so you can find all of those at heidibennett.com and you can also find out about working with me in if you're looking for a podcast producer or creative consultant or somebody to help teach you mindfulness compassion and do a little coaching i do a whole bunch of different creative help other people things so that's all at heidibennett.com all right awesome check all of heidi's stuff out and also check us out on facebook in brains library the escape from new york minute hangout check us out on twitter ny minute pod 
Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Give us some nice ratings and reviews. Make Molly and me happy. And even if you don't, (laughs) be on time. Stay out of the sewers. And we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.